Hey, everyone. Welcome to our Euramigos Ask OGU preview podcast. So um, this is meant to sort of go over the highlights of the different diseases, what to be on the lookout for, what we're on the lookout for. Tom and I are joined by um, fellow Euramigo, friend of the show, Silky Gillison. And we're each going to just take our turn going through what we think is the, the major highlights in the different diseases. Uh, we're actually going to start with kidney cancer, which is unusual. I, I protested that I'm always last, so we're going to start with <laughs> kidney cancer. This is actually a rerun of a podcast we made about 30 seconds ago where Brian gave all the results that he knew, which, which, which wasn't actually the aim of this particular podcast. Thank you. If you're listening to this podcast, it's important to listen before the meeting rather than after the meeting. If you're listening after the meeting, listen to the podcast we made uh, because uh, it's not going to have any results in it. But it was going to talk about the things we're really excited about so, from a personal perspective. Yes. So, is that so fair, kidney, Brian? Yes, that's fair. Thank you. So kidney cancer. Okay. So I think the it's big, part of the improved 2024 service. The big data is is the adjuvant um, Nevo monotherapy, the so-called Part B of Checkmate 914, and then the updated survival results from Keynote 564, which we do know by press release is positive. And this just really continues the story of adjuvant immune therapy and kidney cancer and why are some trials negative and some positive, and now we have a survival signal, which is unique. And so I think it's really important data. Um, we'll be doing a podcast with Pedro Barada, the discussion, the discussant of those abstracts. And I think this is, again, continuing the story, but a, a start of a much larger discussion about- I've been looking down the back of my- I've been looking down the back of my sofa for other overall survival signals in the adjuvant setting for immune checkpoint inhibition. Um, particularly PD-1 therapies. And you know, they're not that many kicking around. This is quite, this is quite groundbreaking in that respect. For Brian. sure. No, I think it's, and, I think it's super important. And, and Brian, having survival, is that important for you? Of course. You know, so this is a, this is 10 out of 10 important because we've been talking on this show for two years about disease-free survival right. being a surrogate for overall survival. And now at last we have OS. This is super exciting, isn't it? I, yes, yes. As stated, thank you, you, thank you for I sound much. I sound much more excited about this than you do. <laughs> you do. You do. It's later <laughs> in your day, perhaps. Come on, come on. Brian is just neutral. Tries to be neutral, Tom. That's not. Bad. I'm very like neutral. Switzerland. Not I might you add. can be. Look, thank you. you can be. You can be very excited and neutral. When I go to the cinema, I often see things I don't like very much, but I'm really excited Tom, about. Tom, it. can we now talk, please, about Ask a GU because people don't want to know what you films thank, you're gonna thank look, you, but Silky. Thank what you. abstracts they should look okay. at. Okay, Silky, you're, I you're both cutting into my kidney cancer time. Yeah. Which anyway, we're really looking for. We're, we're enjoying super, it. Right, we're super enjoying exciting it. data. It'll generate a lot of discussion and controversy, I'm sure. But but I agree with you, Tom. Super exciting. Um, other oral presentations. There's a, a sub Q versus IV Nevo. Sabi George is presenting. I you know be interesting to see the data. I don't know how much it moves the needle, but obviously different options in different parts of the world, you know, and, and health health resources could be important. Brian. So what do you see, need to see? I was hoping you wouldn't interrupt me as no, much. No, no, this is important. Ahead. This is important because I've thought about this. What do you need to see? How robust does it need to be? Because switching to subcut from a hospital perspective is quite important. Yeah. You know, hour-long infusions, we're doing hundreds of these all the time, particularly in the adjuvant setting if this is going to be big. We can save you know, literally yeah. millions of dollars if we can switch to an outpatient subcut delivery system what do you need to see to be convinced of equivalence i mean i think you know just looking at the title it says pk efficacy and safety so i think efficacy is the key there right i think if it's just pk equivalence i'm not sure that there'll be a whole scale change and i don't know what efficacy data they're presenting um this the title is previously treated in you know metastatic rcc so it's in a refractory setting so we have checkmate 025 and 
presumably a somewhat similar setting. Again, we don't know the data yet. If it's not randomized, it's not good enough for you. That's what you're saying. Um, I don't know about that. I don't know that it needs to be randomized, but it needs to be large enough oh. with robust results. Um, I guess this is randomized because it's versus, but, yes. but it, I think there needs to be a large trial that where you say, man, this efficacy really looks like what we get with IV. And obviously there, that could mean different things in order to say, yeah, we can use this. But I totally agree from a, a health resource utilization, it could be a big gain. Tom, you're presenting data. So presentation quality aside, you're presenting data on the LightSpark. I would like you to hear you talk about this in an exciting way. That's my goal. So I'm going to say absolutely nothing. And I'm just going to mark your enthusiasm. Unlikely. I'm going to mark your enthusiasm Um, for this presentation out of 10. Laurence presented the clinical data, the PFS, the early OS. Um, in, and in the, uh, ESMO presentation, and this is the follow-up of, uh, the more comprehensive, uh, quality of life PRO data, which we've debated on this show and are these the right questionnaires and this and that, but I think it's particularly important for this drug in this setting because it's reputation well-deserved is that it is really well-tolerated. We do have a lot of choices in the refractory setting, other TKIs, which have data, et cetera. So I think it's informative and will hopefully complement you know, what sort of the, the adverse event table does, right? Which is one way to look at tolerability, but this is, I think, a different and complementary way. So I, I think it's important. Again, we'll see the data and all the different questionnaires and stuff, but I think um, it's particularly important for this agent. Where are you, where are you using Belzutifan at the moment, Brian? Um, yeah, I would say in that third and fourth line setting, you know? I mean, you know, where, where it was studied in 005. Again, we have other TKIs in that setting. I think we're still settling into that clinical phenotype. It can't be somebody who needs an immediate response. I think it's less robust in that setting. Um, I could envision using it earlier in more indolent patients. Again, we don't quite have the clinical data yet, the clinical trial data, but I can certainly, you know, envision using it there. But I think it's, I think it's evolving. Right. I'm going to give you a seven and a half for enthusiasm. That's not bad. I'll take that. No, I think that's good. I think Higher good. than my baseline level. So no, certainly, um, certainly. And then there's some rapid, they have these rapid oral abstract sessions, which are like five minute presentations, which seems impossible to me, but there's a um, 55 month follow-up of the Cabo Nevo, the Checkmate 9ER trial. We've said before, long-term follow-up from these doublet studies is important. It might be differentiating in terms of of mechanism and and design of the trial. We have then um, long-term follow-up data from Checkmate 214 that Nazar is presenting right after that. So we've seen these at the various meetings over the last couple of years, the, the different doublets and their long-term follow-up. And I think they've been informative, right? I think they've really helped us differentiate strengths and weaknesses of the regimens. And so, again, they're five-minute presentations for what it's worth, but, uh, but it will be important. And then uh, Chris Bergerow, who we'll also do a podcast with, is talking about a, a novel health-related quality of life measure for metastatic kidney cancer. And Tom, I know you've been working with her and others to develop that as I think we, I think that field continues to evolve. So we're actually measuring what, what is important to patients. Right. And I think this will pair nicely with the data that you present, Tom. Um, and then I think uh, that's sort of it in kidney cancer. Those are at least the oral presentation. So again, adjuvant uh, checkpoint inhibition, clearly the big, and then some long-term follow-up data, but some other interesting quality of life data as well. So who, do you next? want me to continue? Yes. Right. So I think you were, you were super enthusiastic. So, <laughs> so I, I'm very t- picking up from that because um, something in a combination that you know probably both of you better than us is uh, carbosantinib and atezolizumab. And, and this is now tested also in metastatic CRPC. 
in the contact two trial. Um, there was a press release. Um, so the phase three seems to be positive for PFS. The secondary endpoint is OS, and that's not mature. Um, as always, and we discussed that in uh, the podcast before, it was randomized versus a second RP, and we can discuss that uh, at length. But I think this is quite exciting data, and I'm really like uh, looking forward to seeing how big that um, advantage will be. And then a second one, I think also, you know, interesting, and it's also an MCRPC for patients with um, HRR mutated tumors, is um, the Maha Hussein's trial BRCA way, what I also think is a quite nice title. <laughs> and this is a randomized phase two only, but for the first time, you know, it's not being discussed properly here and magnitude and uh, teleport two and everything. But this time it's really three arms. So it's Abby versus Olaprop versus the combination. So the first time we really have that third arm in there. And I, I'm quite excited to see that data. Um, not... Silky, of yes. the Cabo um, Atezo study, yes. how important is it that there is no third Cabo alone arm? How big a problem is that for that trial? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, we had had so many trials with checkpoint inhibitors that were negative. So now, obviously, the question is, so how much is the ATS really helping? And I'm totally with you. I, I think they should have done the, the, the third arm or even, you know, not doing the second RP arm at all and just using carbosaptinib as, as um, an arm there. I think it would have been important because obviously the combination is more toxic and it's also much more expensive. So the financial toxicity of, of that combination seems very high. So, yeah, I agree with you. It would have been better to have a third arm there. And the three-arm trial, can contrast that with the three-arm study, the randomized phase two you just talked about. What are you expecting to see around that study are you because we've seen monotherapy and combination data before in randomized trials? Why is it relevant putting it together in a single trial? Now, first of all, I think that that Ma Hussein really um, started this trial quite some time ago. So, so I think you know, I personally think it's a very clean trial because so you can see how much is really the effect of the BARP inhibitor and how much is the combination really working. And I mean, there's a lot of hypotheses, preclinical and so on, but I think this will now really show us if the combination is not only better than Abby alone, but also than Olaparib alone. So for you, the key is that bit, we've had podcasts before where people have come on the show and said, you know, there's something special about giving the two combinations together and it overcomes some of the mechanisms of resistance, whatever it might be. And this really will define yeah. whether or not that combination is making a difference. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And then I hope, you know, we're also going to see more data about really which HHR mutations, you mm. know, in which does it work? I mean, BRCA2 is clear, BRCA1 seems clear. Um, and the other ones, I think there's always a bit discussions about that. So we will have more data to help us with these decisions. What are you doing with a patient with a B2 mutation, uh, CDK12 mutations, and so on. Okay, and apart from that, I mean, this is more like for urologist radiotherapists. There's two um, trials in the orals. 
One is in a high-risk population localized, um, asking a question about dose escalation, 80 versus 70 grace plus long-term ADT in high-risk patients. So the Shetugatin study, quite interesting. We will see what's, what's coming out there. And the second one was was already reported last year um, for the for the efficacy data. This is in a very special situation: PSA persistence after radical prostatectomy, and asked the question if salvage radiotherapy plus six months of ADT plus um, an RB plus APA would be helpful. Sounds like and a lot to me. Yeah, it's a lot. A little <laughs> it's a lot to say. So at, mm. at least like the reported last year um, was there was the efficacy endpoints were not, was, were not reached, but uh, this time they show the quality of li- life data. So we will see um, what's happening there. So, and Silky, in the, uh, in the rapid session, Mr. Beltran's presenting this like a tri-specific, this T-cell engagement. Yes, yes, we, exactly. You know, as you said, immunotherapy, not a great track record, but some of these T-cell directed therapies, the bites and whatnot, starting to get some traction. Are you a, are you a believer that this is a way forward, that these are going to be efficacious enough with acceptable toxicity or no? Yes. So first of all, I think, you know, neuroendocrine prostate cancer is quite different. So yeah. so there I wouldn't be as skeptical about, you know, immunotherapy in general. And we have seen at ESMO last year, so in 2023, quite interesting data with a very similar drug in small cell lung cancer with really like impressive response rates. So I'm I'm really excited to see um, these data from Misha. Um, what happens now in prostate cancer patients um, with another, it's another uh, T-cell engager, but uh, I mean, it seems very interesting and we really don't have anything in for these patients. So we can mm-hmm. tell you what I think. Yes, tell <laughs> yeah. me, please. Do we have a so, choice? Yeah, so I, I think <laughs> drug development in prostate cancer is beginning to generate some real momentum. Mm-hmm. I think that for, for the first time, I think they're more, ex- not the first time, but the first time for a while, I think they're more exciting drugs in prostate cancer than bladder or kidney cancer. Dare I say it? You know, I think that, uh, maybe, uh, you know, please novel write to drugs. us. Yeah, yeah, novel drugs. But, mm-hmm. you know, we're now having quite a lot of these, these, these presentations coming through with a new drug, new mechanism, impressive results. And actually, we haven't got that much in kidney cancer, do we, Brian? I, you know, you, no. you talked a bit about updating the eight-year Ipinevo data was one of the highlights. That's, uh, <laughs> which, by the way, I'm a great supporter of. I'm a great supporter. I wasn't laughing. Was no, I think two. in terms of it mechanism, you're right. We're talking, I mean, Belzutifan, you can, obviously that is a novel mechanism, but but related, right, to the HIF-VEGF pathway, to VHL pathway. But in terms of truly novel, completely different mechanism, certainly for RCC, you're absolutely right. Well, Brian, we also have to say, you know, it comes probably in waves, right? So you had a fantastic wave in kidney cancer. And now I guess the wave in prostate mm-hmm. cancer has started some years ago and it's really coming now. And, and then obviously our good friend Tom has generated his 
own way for bladder cancer. We're going to discuss well, that, that afterwards. You said well, good friend, but, which, um, yeah, on to, uh, tens of thousands of people involved in that huge wave, which is, which is anyway. crashing into the uh, crashing into not, the beach. Not in a tree, please. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, there's been a yeah, there has been a small so, skiing accident, which uh, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, what anything else in prostate that catches your fancy? Anything yeah, else to be on the lookout? So, so I think really, you know, so we have an. A lot of new drugs, but we have also to be careful about the side effects because that's an elderly population. Mm -hmm. And so we have the ACE study um, that is a prospective cognitive function study uh, comparing ABI versus ENSA. I think that's quite interesting. And then something that's maybe, uh, again, pure, uh, a bit more for the urologist, uh, there is a randomized trial of transperineal versus transrectal uh, biopsy of the prostate for diagnosis. And I think that's quite important because there are still some people, you know, doing uh, transrectal biopsies. Um, I think a lot of countries have changed to transperineal because um, of prevention of infections. And that for, for the patients is really important. So I think um, yeah. that, that is a quite interesting trial. The chances of me being at that presentation are relatively modest, to be honest. So, <laughs> you <know. laughs> but you know, uh, Tom, you coming in that age where you're going to make oh, I see. the bios later. You may have a personal interest in that. Maybe I should go. Thank you. All right, Tom, let's... On that note, let's. What, yeah. What's in bladder? Tell us big, big uh, things to look out for in bladder cancer. Well, last, of course, but not least, by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> Cinderella has come to the ball in urethelial cancer, and there's some updated, um, well, there's some subset data from um, EB302, EB Pembro, um, that Mikael van der Heiden's presenting, and you know that's exciting. We haven't. It's the first time EB Pembro in the randomized phase three is being presented in the US, obviously the phase two with Jonathan and, uh, and Peter and a number of others have presented uh, EV Pemero and cisplatin and ineligible before, but this is the, uh, um, the first time that um, in the US that, that EV Pemero in 302 has been presented. I think that's um, exciting. Um, I think there's also uh the oral presentation, oral presentation for pembrolizumab and, and cabozacinib. I'm not super excited by that. I'll have a look at it, but I don't think it's necessarily, you know, we've seen some cabo data before. We've seen a randomized phase three with lenvatinib and pembrolizumab. And I don't see why cabozacinib would be magic when lenvatinib was struggling personally, but there'll be people in the audience who may disagree with me. I don't know the results of that trial, but I'll, I'll be in the audience. Certainly I'm looking forward to that. Um, we're doing something slightly unusual. There's an immune therapy educational session. And towards the end of that educational session, there's um, a, a presentation looking at the impact of Checkmate 274 adjuvant nivolumab. Uh, and I think there'll be sort of healthcare quality of life and, and other bits, maybe some cost health, some healthcare economic data in that at all it's a bit, as well. It's unusual to have in an educational session a um a data abstract at the end i actually really like the idea i think we mm -hmm. should sometimes be constructing educational sessions around two or three key you know topics that are coming through so I, i'm a great great fan of that proposal um there's um of course i haven't talked about the big highlight which is the ambassador study the adjuvant pembro trial um this is in urethelial cancer 
high-risk disease, adjuvant Pembro um, in a randomized study versus placebo. It's a really important study. It's an alliance, investigator-initiated study. Um, Andrea Apollo and, and Jonathan Rosenberg uh, leading that. I think it's, um, we know from the press release that it's positive for PFS. It says OS is ongoing. I really, really hope we see uh, the OS survival curve. It's going to be the most important curve of the whole meeting. It's going to knock, well, maybe no, maybe it's the OS curve of the Pembroke is more important in the renal <laughs> session. So it's the second most important curve <laughs> of the whole meeting. I'm going to actually so make how... a highlight of my favorite five curves of the meeting after this. <laughs> yes, we and then can I'm hardly gonna, wait. Yeah, and I'm going to I'm going to spend some time thinking about that. But this is super important because we know Nevo's got PFS, but we've never PFS, seen. Yep. Yeah, DFS. But we've never seen the OS, as you know. Friends of the show will know I'm I'm quite upset about that in the past because I think we should be seeing these OS signals. And I really, 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 really hope that we see the adjuvant Pembro signal um, because if it's trending towards OS, like the renal did in the first couple of cuts, you know, the first couple of cuts, 0 0.53, 0 0.6, if that's trending towards OS, we're going to be really excited about this because we can then go to our patients and say, you know, adjuvant PD-1 therapy not only delays progression-free survival, but the immature data suggests survival is going the right direction as well. And without that second sentence, the adjuvant story doesn't work for me because treating unselected patients means we're treating patients who don't need therapy. We're putting those patients in harm's way and we need a trend towards overall survival because DFS for me, just delaying the time for the cancer coming back isn't enough, particularly is, when we have... What is that trend? I mean, you're using that word trend. It's not yes. a statistical trend. You just mean yeah. anything below one or what do you mean by that? Yeah, look, I mean, I'll have to wait and see. I'd like to see the curves go apart. I wouldn't want to see them come back together again. I'd yeah, like yeah. to see, you know, so the shape of that curve is important. I mean, clearly 0 0.95 would be disappointing. Clearly yeah. 0 0.50 would be fabulous. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, 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 um, but, you know, the, the, and I think, remember these patients, if the minimum follow-up is at least a year, all of these patients are off therapy. So those people who said, oh, we shouldn't be unblinding or we shouldn't be looking early because some patients may switch. These patients have finished their therapy. We should yeah, yeah. be looking at these survival signals as time goes by. We shouldn't be sitting on our hands. And so I'm really I'm I'm really hopeful. I don't know. I'm excited to speak to Andrea and I'm excited, yeah. obviously, about that. So as you can see, I'm so excited about that that uh that um I don't know. I, can... I would give you a six out of ten for excitement. Oh, you're joking. You're joking. <laughs> well, it's relative to baseline, Max. but I don't Max. know. Okay, I'm, well, I'm disappointed by that. So I'm going to try and in, inject a bit of enthusiasm into some of the rapid orals. Then there's APL one two o two, that's um, an anti-angiogenic, anti-cancer therapy combined with Pembro, a new therapy. Matt Galski's presenting that. I'm excited about that. That's something new. It's think, a new. I mean, we, you've mentioned Cabo and you mentioned this anti-angiogenic. I mean, haven't we been down that road? I mean, uh, Brian, ladder? you asked me to be enthusiastic. Well, no, I'm, I'm okay. Forget well, the enthusiasm. I'm just asking you, like. Yeah, okay, so I agree with you. I'm very anxious about us exploring VEGF-targeted therapy ongoing in kidney cancer. We did, okay. you know, in the UK, we did pozopinib versus weekly taxol, and the weekly taxol did better. And yeah. weekly taxol was being shown to be no better than best supportive care. So, yeah, very anxious. You're excited and anxious, got it. Yeah, anxious more than excited, <laughs> but I'm going to be there. I've got front row seats for that one. Um <laughs> I'm also excited about FGFR and in upper tract disease. So FGFR 
um, expression and its relevance in upper tract urethelial cancer. Those of you who are really close to this, um, like well, perhaps too close like me, um, the Thor trial showed some really confusing data in upper tract disease in their two cohorts, one versus Pembro, erdofitinib versus Pembro, erdofitinib versus chemo. And against chemotherapy, there was huge enrichment in upper tract disease. We thought in upper tract disease with low pd one expression that Pembro wouldn't work very well. And it ended up Pembro outperforming erdofitinib in subset analysis. And so, yeah, I, I, for those people who are really geeky like me, I'm going to be looking at that as well. Um, there's some... Um, there's some other real-world infortunate avidotin data, which I think is exciting, some MSI high data. Uh, and Matt Young from our group is looking at um, combinations of biomarker, tumor-based biomarkers and circulating biomarkers to see if we can enrich for response. As you know, the tumor-based biomarkers have been underwhelming, but the hope is if we pick the positive patients with ctDNA, we can improve the accuracy of the biomarkers that way. So um, that's kind of where I am. In, uh, in bladder cancer. I'm, I'm excited about the meeting. It sounds mm. like there's a pretty balanced across diseases, right? Mm -hmm. And then probably adjuvant immune therapy or immune therapy based, if you include cabotezo and prostate is still sort of dominating, you know, where we are in these, in GU cancers. Yeah, I think for me, I think that adjuvant story in kidney cancer is going to be fascinating. And I'm really excited about the discussion session on that yeah. because um, I can see that I can see the room being a bit split, but having an OS signal is super important. I actually really like that. Um, that PARP study that you talked about um, uh, Silky with the Mahas presenting. And again, I think that Cabo Atezo study is going to be really controversial and mm -hmm. the ambassador Pembro trial, super important. You know, we're giving, um, it's just super important. So um, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be there for that too. Awesome. So, okay. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you in, uh, in San Fran in a little bit. And I'm going to give the whole meeting a seven or eight out of 10 excitement level, just based on the descriptions. <laughs> I think that's very fair, Brian. It's very fair. Not, not over the top because we don't want to disappoint the audience when they're sitting there, but yes. you know, it's well beyond a five or six. We can all agree on that. I agree with that. And All wouldn't right. it be terrific, Brian, if one day, one day, one glorious day, one future day, renal cancer was on the Thursday or Friday? I would love that. I wouldn't would that be amazing? <laughs> session on Friday with all the all the big data across diseases, but uh, I, nobody's listened to that idea. But but I, I love that to, plenary we idea. Need to integrate diseases more. Maybe we should run a parallel ASCO GU meeting in a hotel down the room road and have a and, and just rehash the meeting, but having plenary sessions. That's I'm not sure the worst idea. Well. That's not the worst idea I've had today. Um, I, I'm not sure. So maybe maybe it's, <laughs> it's better to make some podcasts at the posters. You're we'll, really good at that. We'll do that, Silky. I'm looking forward to seeing you both a lot. Yeah. yeah. See you Thanks soon. Okay. Bye bye. See you soon. Bye bye. Bye bye.